This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. From the Society for Nautical Research, in partnership with Lloyd's Register Foundation, I'm Sam Willis, and this is the Mariner's Mirror podcast, the world's number one podcast dedicated to all of maritime history. The Battle of Trafalgar, fought on the 21st of October 1805 off Cape Trafalgar in Spain. The British fleet, commanded initially by Rear Admiral Horatio Nelson, and after his death early on in the action by Vice Admiral Cuthbert Collingwood, won an immense victory over the Allied French and Spanish fleets, commanded by Admiral Villeneuve and Admiral Gravina. The battle was won against the odds, with 27 British ships of the line fighting 33 Allied ships. 21 of those Allied French ships and Spanish ships were captured, and one was destroyed. It's challenging to bring new insights to any story of the Battle of Trafalgar, but today we are endeavouring to do so by focusing on the journal of Cuthbert Collingwood. The battle dispatches written in the aftermath of the Battle of Trafalgar are unique for fleet battles in the French Revolution and Napoleonic Wars because none of the letters is written by the fleet's commander-in-chief, because, of course, Nelson died. When considering command of the British fleet at Trafalgar, therefore, we must, of course, consider both Nelson and Collingwood his second-in-command. To focus only on Nelson is really to get only a fraction of the picture. Cuthbert Collingwood was the son of a Northumbrian merchant. He joined the navy at the tender age of 11. By 1805, he had known Nelson for 32 years, and they had become very good friends. Nelson's tactics were settled long before the battle. He wanted to cut the enemy fleet in the centre and rear, and then overpower those sections before the van, that is to say the ships at the front of the enemy line, could come to their aid. In a further attempt to keep the enemy van out of the picture, Nelson's division would feint towards it on the approach to lure it away from where the strike would eventually fall. This plan required his ships to bear down at right angles to the enemy, exposing their vulnerable bows to enemy fire. This part of the plan, therefore, had to be executed as quickly as possible, far more so than was usual. It would also be led by the largest ships of the fleet, the flagships, whose bulk could better withstand the enemy's shot. Again, this was unusual. The flagships usually nestled in the centre of their divisions. 
Once engaged, Nelson then required his captains to engage the enemy close and to keep them there until they were beaten. In the days before the battle, therefore, Nelson held regular dinners and conversations aboard his flagship, HMS Victory, to get to know his fellow officers and to instil in very general terms what he expected of them in the coming battle. He focused on simple practical methods to increase the chance of cohesion and unity. He ordered the crews of all British ships to paint their mast hoops yellow to contrast with the black mast hoops of the Allied fleet. And he declared in that famous phrase that no captain can do very wrong if he places his ship alongside that of an enemy. He later reinforced this simple message with a verbal instruction via one of his frigates. If, by the mode of attack prescribed, they found it impractical to get into action immediately, they might adopt whatever they thought best, provided it led them quickly and closely alongside an enemy. Nelson's ideal tactics may have been innovative and subtly nuanced, therefore, but in the hours before battle he kept them as simple as possible. His final signal, England expects that every man will do his duty, is part of that process of simplification and encouragement. We now move on to what happened next, and let Collingwood tell us the story. This excerpt comes from his private journal. It gives a great description of the action as seen from the decks of Royal Sovereign. It's interesting to note that although this account of the battle is detailed, his account of the subsequent storm and subsequent events uh, is less so. You would have no idea, for example, that the French ship Boucentaur, captured by the British in the action, was then recaptured by the French. October 21st, EM. At daylight, saw the enemy's fleet to leeward. At 6.30... The Commander-in-Chief made the signal to form the order of sailing in two columns, and at 7 to prepare for battle, at 7.40 to bear up east, in which direction the enemy's fleet were forming their line, bore up, set the royals, and made all sail for the enemy. At 10, their fleet wore, formed their line, and laid their heads to the northward, the British fleet in two columns bearing down on them. The weather division led by the victory, the lee by the royal sovereign, made the signal for the Tonnant and Belle to interchange places in the line, the former ship not being able to keep up with the royal sovereign, made the signal for the lee division to form the leeward line of Baron and to make more sail. At 11, the commander-in-chief made the signal to prepare to anchor after close of day. The Africa, though had parted in the night, stood into the fleet to the northward. At noon, the British fleet consisted of the following ships in two columns, leading down to the attack of the enemy's fleet, which consisted of 33 ships of the line, several frigates, etc. Victory, the Commander-in-Chief. Royal Sovereign, second-in-command. Britannia, Rear Admiral. The Earl of Northesk. Tamarur, Neptune. Conqueror, Agamemnon. Leviathan, Ajax. Orion, Minotaur, Spartiate, Mars, Prince, Tonant, Belial, Bellerophon, Colossus, Achille, Polyphemus, Revenge, Swiftshore, Defence, Africa, Thunderer, Defiance, and Dreadnought, Eurialis, Sirius, Naiad, 
and Phoebe, frigates. Pickle, schooner. An entrepreneur, cutter. PM. Forced in middle parts, light winds. Inclinable to calm, latter part, fresh breezes and squally, with a heavy swell from the westward. About noon, the Royal Sovereign opened fire on the 12th, 13th, 14th and 15th ships from the enemy's rear and stood on with sail to break the enemy's line. Quarter past twelve altered course to port and in keeping close under the stern of Santa Ana, a Spanish three-deck ship with a vice-admiral's flag, raked her and sheering up on her starboard quarter began a very close action. At this time the Mars, Tonnant and Bellule had just broken through the enemy's line and were beginning to engage warmly. The smoke soon became so thick that more of the management of other ships could not be distinguished. Half past twelve, the ships of the lee line keeping up with a heavy fire astern and the weather line coming into close action ahead. At one twenty, the Santa Ana's mizzen mast went. At two twenty, she crossed ahead of the Royal Sovereign. It was scarcely manageable, the Santa Ana having for ten minutes before ceased her fire. In going to leeward of us, she broached two, and her masts went by the board and she surrendered. The victory, with her fore and mizzen topmasts gone, crossed us. The Temeraire, with two French ships, one on each side, on board her, warmly engaged. The Neptune engaged the Trinidad and soon dismasted her. 2.30, the Royal Sovereign's main mast went and carried with it the mizzen mast. The ship perfectly unmanageable. An officer from the victory came aboard and informed me of Lord Nelson being severely wounded and near expiring. At three, ordered the Euryalis to take the Royal Sovereign in tow, and directed Captain Blackwood to go on board the Santa Ana and bring the Spanish Admiral to me. He returned soon after with her captain, who delivered to me the Spanish Admiral's sword, and informed me that Vice Admiral D'Alva was so dangerously wounded that he was near expiring. Sent the Spanish captain back to assist and take care of his Admiral. The Colossus engaging two of the enemy's ships. At half past three, Several of the enemy's rear ships bore up to leeward and joined their frigates. Captain Hardy came on board and acquainted me of the death of the commander-in-chief. Ordered the Euryalis to make the Minotaurs, Spartiates and Thunderers signal to tack and to engage five of the enemy's ships, which, having tacked from their van, were crossing to windward of our line. Opened fire on them as soon as they passed, as did the ships near us. The sternmost of them, a Spanish two-decker, struck at quarter past four, having lost her mizzenmast. The others could not be prevented from making off to southward. The Britannia, Leviathan and some other ships engaging the 6th, 7th and 8th ships of the van, one of which was dismasted and struck. The two others joined their ships to leeward, consisting in the whole of ten sail of the line and some other vessels, which soon after bore up for Cadiz. Ordered the Euryalis to make the general signal to come to the wind on the starboard tack and to take the disabled and captured ships in tow. The action ceased altogether about this time. The enemy left in our position 19 sail of the line, one of which soon after took fire and blew up. Quarter before six, shifted my flag to the Euryalis, the sovereign being without masts and could not make my signals. Ordered the Thunderer to take the Santa Ana in tow, and the Prince, the Trinidad. The Phoebe had a prize in tow, and the Naiad, the Belial quite dismasted. Ordered the boats of the Euryalis to such ships as were near us, and most perfect, with orders, to take the disabled ships and prizes in tow, 
at seven made sail on the starboard tack with a light air from the west-south-west with a heavy swell. At nine, being in twenty-three fathoms, made the signal to prepare to anchor. At twenty minutes past, sounded in thirteen fathoms. Very irregular soundings from thirteen to twenty-two fathoms. At midnight, made the signal to wear. October 22nd. Came to the wind on the leeward tack. Light winds from the south-south-west and south-west, which increased towards daylight to a fresh wind. At eight. Cast the sovereign off and order the Neptune to take her in tow and keep to the south-west. Sent a schooner and cutter with orders for the ships to close round the Neptune. War and stood in shore to collect the fleet. Made the signal as we passed the ships to close south-west with the Neptune. The Belial in tow of the Naiad to windward, the Colossus in tow of the Agamemnon, and the Tonnant in tow of the Spartiate. Passed the Prince towing the Trinidad, the Thunderer, the Santa Ana, and several other ships with prizes in tow, making in all fourteen of the enemy's ships in tow, stand into the southwest, to close with the Neptune. At noon, Melpomene joined, ordered Captain Oliver to take any disabled ships or prize in tow. Strong gales at times, with heavy squalls and a great swell from the westward. PM saw four of the enemy's dismasted ships at anchor, one under Trafalgar and three others between it and the Pedro, the Leviathan, another ship of the line, and the Phoebe near them, but from the great sea and fresh wind could not get them underway to tow. At two, war, stood to the westward and took the mizzen top sail in. At four, the Minotaur, with a Spanish 80-gun ship in tow, standing to the westward, broke the tow rope, made a signal to stay by prizes. At half-past eleven, the wind shifted to the westward, made the signal and came to the wind on the starboard tack. October 23rd, AM, bore up and directed the ships to close with each other to the westward. At ten, ordered the Africa to close with the Temeraire to windward and take her in tow. First part, fresh breezes, Middle part, strong gales. Latter part, more moderate, with a heavy sea from the westward and very unsettled weather. PM, the Minotaur, and another ship to leeward, made the signal for the enemy's ships coming out of port, made the signal to come to the wind on the leeward tack. The Eurydice and Scout joined. The former took a prize in tow, bore up. At three saw ten of the enemy's ships to leeward, apparently endeavouring to cut off and recapture some of the disabled prizes. Made the signal for eight sail of the most perfect ships to form the line ahead as most convenient, and stood down with them to leeward of the British disabled ships and prizes. Was informed by Captain Rutherford that the Redoubtable sunk astern of the swift shore last night, a little before dark. Came to the wind on the leeward tack, having lost sight of the enemy. Ordered the Leviathan and Scout to keep between Cadiz and the squadron and make known the movements of the enemy. Made the dreadnought signal to close in order to shift my flag to her at daylight if necessary. October 24th, AM. None of the enemy's ships in sight. At 8, Cadiz Lighthouse southeast by east about 5 leagues. At 9, the weather having every appearance of blowing, a heavy sea from the westward, and no prospect of getting the captured ships off the shore. Made the signal to quit and destroy the prizes, several of them being at anchor between San Lucar and Rota. The Donegal joined company from Gibraltar. The ships of the fleet taking the men out of the prizes and preparing to destroy them. 
first part fresh breezes, latter part strong gales and squally weather. PM. Bore up for the ships at anchor. V. The Defence, Leviathan, Donegal, Ajax, Orion, Milpomene, and Sirius. At six, sent the boats from the Urialis to assist in Scotland the Santisma Trinidad. At nine, they returned, having effected it. At ten, one of the prizes set on fire by the Britannia blew up. October 25th, AM. Achille, Conqueror and Pickle only in sight. Took the fore and main topsails in and struck topgallant masts. A heavy sea from the southwest. PM. Forced part strong gales with a heavy sea. Thick rain. Latter part more moderate. Washed away the spritsail yard and sprung the spanker boom. At six, seven sail in sight. October 26th. EM. Sent Pickle schooner to England with my dispatches to the Secretary of the Admiralty. At noon, the Revenge and some other sails in sight ahead. PM. Fresh gales and hazy weather. At one, bore up to the eastward. At three, saw ships at anchor, and with them the Royal Sovereign, Mars and Temeraire, having rowed out yesterday's gale. Sent the scout with orders to the Royal Sovereign to use every exertion in rigging her with jury spars. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. We have also included today an excerpt from a lieutenant's log of the battle written by Lieutenant J. Simmond. The entries are briefer and less detailed, though nonetheless they give a different sense of what service on board a Royal Naval ship was like, and what was important to a lieutenant deserved recording. The battle fades slightly into the distance and is replaced with observations of his environment and activities on board the ship. Here is Lieutenant Simmond's log. October 21st, AM. Moderate breezes and fine weather. At daylight discovered the enemy's fleet lured, bearing east-southeast to east by north. The signal was made to chase and form the line of battle in two columns, each ship to engage her opponent. Set studding sails. 
at 11 o'clock brought the ship under her courses. At 11.50 began to engage a Spanish three-deck ship. At noon, ditto weather. No other ship in action. PM. Moderate breezes. Still in action. At 12.40 the Spanish three-decker struck her colours. At this time the Belle came up and began to engage a Spanish 84, when we lost our mizzenmast. The whole fleet came up in turn and the action began general. At 3.30 the mainmast went by the board. At 5 the firing ceased, when Euryalus frigate came and towed us out of the line. Admiral Collingwood then went on board of the Euryalus and hoisted his flag there. The French and Spanish ships which struck was 19, and one blown up at the close of the action. Employed securing the foremast, clearing the decks, and securing the guns, etc. At 8, Cape Trafalgar bore southeast by east, 7 or 8 leagues. Cut the clinch off the cable, being nearly shot away, and bent them again. At 12, warship. Rigged a jury mainmast. October 22nd. A.M. Fresh breezes. Unbent the foresail and cast off from the Euryalus, when the Neptune took us in tow. At noon, strong breezes, with four of the fleet in sight. Neptune towing us. October 23rd, p.m. Fresh breezes. Answered the signal number 14, to prepare for battle and for anchoring with springs, etc. At 2, war ship. At 2.30, cast off from the Neptune. At 6, was taken in tow by the Mars. At 12, strong gales, with rain. October 24th. A.M. At daylight, 33 sail in sight. Made all sail. Run in and secured the middle deck guns. At noon, read the articles of war and punished two seamen for drunkenness and disobedience of orders. October 25th. A.M. Employed rigging a jury mizzenmast. P.M. Strong gales with rain. At 5.30 our foremast went by the board and with it all the sails, standing and running rigging. Cleared the wreck. At 5.40, carried away the tow rope. Rigged a jury foremast and fired several guns to windward and leeward and sounded every half hour. Lost overboard one of the poop carronades by the violent rolling of the ship. October 26th, AM. Observed several blue lights to burn to the south-southwest. At noon, a heavy swell from the westward. Seventeen sail in sight. Hove overboard four boats. P.M. Strong gales and hazy weather. At one, shortened sail and came to with the best bower in twenty-nine fathoms of water. Veered to a cable. The land of Chipiona from southeast by east to east. Many thanks for listening. I do hope you have enjoyed this episode. Do please listen to our many other episodes on great sea fights. We have featured battles from throughout history with many more to come. Do please in particular check out the Mariner's Mirror podcast on YouTube where we've created a clever video for the Battle of Tsushima, that early 20th century clash between steel battleships in which the Japanese annihilated the Russians. It's sort of a modern Trafalgar. For that, we have animated an eyewitness battle plan to make sense of the very complicated fleet movements. 
Please find us on social media. The Society for Nautical Research is on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. But best of all, please do join the Society for Nautical Research at snr.org.uk. Your modest subscription fee helps to support this podcast. It helps to publish the Mariner's Mirror Journal, which has been in print for over a century, and it helps to preserve our maritime past. Thank you all for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.